The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. Uh, we're looking at, been looking at Corinthians, and the passage we'll look at today is, is, is Paul kind of alluding to these games, these Olympic games, and, it's, and it kind of wraps up this whole first section of, of the book. And I love, I love the Olympics. I love the Olympic narrative. I, I love watching the games. I love that there's people there that I just can't even believe that this is their fifth game, their sixth game, their seventh game. You're like, oh my gosh, like how old is this person? And, and there's other kids there, really, who are high schoolers who are applying for colleges, and they're out on the biggest stage in the world. And, and it's just amazing that the different people from around the world who come together uh, in that way. And there's so much dedication, obviously, commitment, sacrifice. There's just this investment in this idea of being this person and this dream, and there's this conviction there. And Paul will talk about this conviction that drives. And these athletes, there's a, there's a, there has to be a certain level of conviction to get them to that point, because it's not a casual workout program. It's not a casual side piece of their life to, if you want to end up in, in, in the Olympics, let alone being some kind of medal contender. So Paul writes the Olympic Games here at the end of uh, chapter 9. And uh, you can throw that map up, Alex, just kind of for fun, just to kind of cast some light on where we are again. But uh, Olympics in this time and part of the world were, were a huge deal. Um, you can see Olympia. That's really where the Olympic Games were held. And this is even hundreds of years before the time we're at now. But they ran for like 1,200 years. Uh, there's Sparta, Athens. So Corinth is where we're hanging out. Corinth had their own set of games. They ran their, their games uh, before the Olympic year and after the Olympic year. And it was on par with the Olympics. Uh, they pulled people from all over. So this was a, an Olympic, Olympic city. And so when Paul makes references to athletes or to sports, uh, it, was, it was right up, uh, right in central with the people's thought and something they, they celebrated. But uh, before we get into that, I want to do a quick overview. I'm just going to speed through some chapters. So you guys are going to be stoked. We're going to do like four chapters today in like 10 minutes. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll cover some stuff. Not because there's not good stuff in there, but because this is really trying to do an overview of the book uh, just to kind of get some, get some big picture stuff. Uh, in 1 Corinthians. So uh, first thing, and we've mentioned this before, the first nine chapters Paul sets up with really this mental approach to the people, like remember who you are in Christ. That is paramount. That is huge. Remember that you belong to Christ, that he died for you, that he loves you, that he, that he owns you, that he wants the best for you. Remember that peace. And he kind of challenges them that they've been slipping. They're, they say, we got to get back on milk because you guys are just kind of, you're not cutting it. You're not advancing. You're not maturing. So he says, you've got you to mentally sharpen up. The following few chapters go up into chapter 9. He goes into this moral, moral chapter, so specific things they're struggling with, things they're doing. And so uh, chapter 5, there was a case of incest, and so we all know that's not okay, so we're not going to spend too much time there. Uh, but we looked at it a little bit last week. But uh, chapter 6, lawsuit amongst believers. So, so they're starting to sue one another, and there's these lawsuits breaking out. And, and chapter 6, verse 6 says this, but instead, one brother takes another brother to the court. He says, you guys should love together, love one another. You need to be unified. But instead, you're taking one another to the court, this in front of unbelievers. So he's saying, you're spoiling your witness. Like, you're fighting amongst yourselves. Then you're bringing it to these courts and, like, exposing it even more. And Paul's pleading, like, can't you sort this out among you? Like, that's the point of this unified community. Chapters 1 and 2 talks about being unified. Sort it out among you. And he's calling out this disability of the community to care for itself to be healthy. So when brother versus brother starts coming out, Paul's like, man, this is just so out of hand. You guys are, have fell so far. 
And there's hardly anything really that drives a, a, a parent crazier when their kids fight. If you have kids who fight, it just, it's just maddening. And sometimes you can get it when they fight with other people and you take your own kid's side. But like, when your own kids are fighting, it's just like, oh, yeah, you can't even take a side. You almost don't want to be involved. Like a lot of times when my kids go out, of like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be involved. And when they were little, they used to fight all the time over make-believe things. Like, it's not even real. Why are you fighting over it? It doesn't even exist. Like, both be, the, both be Superman. Who cares, you know? But, but it, it would kind of drive you crazy. And I know I fought with my brothers a ton growing up. I'm oldest of five boys. Not so much with Jonathan, maybe a little bit. We fight now. But I fought with my brothers all the time. And it actually did drive my parents crazy. Like, I think they actually are crazy from that. So it, it's, it's maddening. And so Paul's looking back at these people that he spent a ton of time with. Like, you guys are fighting amongst yourselves? My gosh. He's like, guys, get it, to, get it together. And he's mad. The language is, is angry. He's also heartbroken. And he's somewhat dumbfounded. It's like, I spent so much time with you guys are missing it. He goes on in, in chapter 6 like he does in almost every chapter to bring up their, the immorality, immorality amongst them, this sort of, sort of sexual immorality that they're going through. He says, do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And he lists it. This is a serious offense. He's like, yeah, I know you guys were once a mess, and he lists all these characteristics of people of, of the world. He says, but you're, you're clothed in Jesus now. Like, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. Chapter 7, he, he picks up and starts this way. He says, now have you have previously written me. So chapter 5 talks about a letter Paul wrote. Chapter 7 talks about a letter they wrote to him. So again, there's this exchange happening that we, that we don't get to see, that I wish we could see. There's just these missing letters that, that they're just not for us. We don't need to have them. But man, there's this story going on. So again, we're in the middle of this exchange. We pick up a couple letters in, in the middle. But they're writing from this really sexually charged culture about all these questions they have and issues around marriage and, and, and divorce and, and, and relationship. And it's really hard stuff. And Paul tries to just break it all down. This would be stuff maybe for a marriage weekend. But he just starts breaking down all these things. And honestly, a lot of this stuff, like you and I, we'd be like, yeah, obviously, don't, you know, do that with prostitutes. Like, but he's having to address all these things because they've just gone so far off the deep end and because they're just being affected by this culture around them and they're on, this, on their slide. And so he, he writes through it. And at the end of it, he's like, man, it's hard. He's like, listen, flat out relationship's hard. He's like, if you, he's like, if you cannot be in a marriage relationship, don't do it. Like he's, that's sort of Paul's sort of take on it. Like there's other things happening. The world's hard right now. The gospel needs to go forward. If you can avoid it, he's like, don't go there. And we don't know exactly Paul's deal. That's, that's sort of up for a grab. Some people would suggest he was never married. Some would say, well, his position in a, in a Jewish leadership, he was, of course, married. So we don't, we don't really know. But he had some opinions on it for sure. And he's like, man, don't even go there if you don't have to because it's just hard work. I know we, uh, some of us, hopefully, are, if you're in, in some kind of couple relationship, celebrated Valentine's Day to some extent this week. And um, Amy and I were down actually at, uh, at the brewery, Midwest Brewery. So we put out this sort of idea for, for the brewery that, you know, what if we set up like a little Valentine's Day chapel? And, uh, and we set up in the party room down there, and, and I think there were maybe some pictures going around. But there were rows of chairs. We put up like a little altar thing. And like if people want to come renew their vows. And I said, you know, I'll hang out for, for a few hours and, and see if anybody wants to do that. And if or just, you know, profess their love or, or cheers to one another. So, so Amy and I were hanging out down there uh, that night. And I couldn't believe it. We, we actually did, I did uh, three like proper vow renewals. So people who saw this online, and I didn't know them, and I don't know much about their background, but they felt individually, each, each of these couples came in like, this is a, a time of our life that we want to do this. And one of them was married for 20 years, and they were celebrating their 20th, 20th year, and they had family with them, and went in there and and did this kind of, you know, vow renewal with them, took off the rings, didn't exchange, and the brewery, wide open, the brewery's open, like right in the, 
you know, the door's not closed. We're doing this thing up front, and uh, another couple of 10 years, and, and another couple was, you know, they're only four years, but the, the guy's like, I just want to know I love her as much as the day I married her. And, uh, you know, we went through this, this thing, and, and it was cool. You know, we did this, uh, you know, I kind of led, led them through sort of some just kind of, I wouldn't say want to say standard, but kind of standard wedding vows, and yeah, I didn't know a ton of the story, but those vows tend to be pretty romantic, right? Those kind of, hopefully those first round of vows are, are, are romantic. And I lead a lot of weddings, and I'm a little bit of a romantic. And I love that stuff. I love to lean into that and lead people in those things and talk about, you know, choosing one another and, you know, in any version of reality, in a hundred worlds, in a hundred lifetimes, I'd find you, I'd lay down my life for you. Like, do you, like, I love leading people into that. But, you know, I've been married coming up on, you know, almost 20 years, as some of you guys are putting some years, years together. The vows almost should be a little more honest anymore, right? Like, you don't even know what that means. I like going back to them, okay, like, maybe we should sprinkle in some other stuff. Like, I promise to always listen even when you ramble, right? Like, I mean, anyone, like, isn't that something we should probably, I promise to align my dishwasher loading technique with yours. I mean, Amy is not here, but man, I, that just drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> do you promise to always try a new restaurant with me and never without me? Uh, ooh, that's a soft spot, sore spot for some people. Um, I vow to make sure that we aren't just hungry before yelling at each other. I promise to not look at you like, I'm surprised you don't already know this. Like, there's just some of these things that become real issues for some of us. And going into the marriage, you don't really even know that those things can exist. You don't even have a box for problems. You're so happy. You're so just in love. And you're living in that world, which is great. That's super healthy. And so you, you, don't, you can't even imagine having a fight about, you know, a restaurant or, or someone falling asleep during a movie or what are you going to watch on Netflix. Like, but those things just start to rub on you over time. And Paul's like, it's okay. We don't have to pretend this isn't hard. It is hard. Right? This, this faith thing is hard. This gospel thing is hard. Relationships are hard. Let's be honest about it, about what we're getting into but he's, he has to keep pushing them and calling them out. He's not just going let it, to let it slide. Uh, toward the end of this chapter, and again, th- these chapters, it's, just, it's one big letter. It, it's a little bit of a rambling letter. The Bible does its best to kind of categorize some of it, but it, he just kind of jumps around. So we talk about one thing, and it goes back to another. And he's talking about marriage, and he says this. I lay down this rule in all the churches. And this is talking about circumcision. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. And he kind of talks about this for a little while and basically says in chapter 17, verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. And, and what's happening regarding circumcision and food and some other things is that people are just really like they're bossing each other around. And there's these little classes popping up and trying to tell everybody what to do. And Paul's saying, again, like they're just like his little kids, like stop bossing each other around. Like stop telling people to do stuff they don't have to do. Nobody likes that, right? Nor do grown men like being told they have to be circumcised. Let it go. It's not helping. And he's kind of chastising him, like, let this stuff go. Let this little stuff go. It's not critical to the gospel. It's fine. Let it go. And some people are more bossy than others. That's their personality. But those are some challenges. Like, you know what? You don't have to speak into everybody's about every little thing. If there's a big thing, yeah, if, it's, if, it, if you're sure about it. But you can let some of that other stuff go. He talks in chapter 8 about this idea of food sacrifice to idols. And he has questions about this because it, it was throwing people off. And, and, and Paul basically says, listen, it doesn't really matter. Like, the idols are, are, are nothing. Uh, the food is not going to hurt anybody. But he says, be considerate about where other people are at spiritually. If it throws other people off, then don't eat it. Paul's like, if meat throws people off, I'll never eat meat again. He's like, don't, I don't care. 
He's like, sort it out amongst yourselves. Stop antagonizing one another. Stop fighting amongst, amongst one another. Stop doing things that throw other people off. And he's just corralling like these little kids. Remember he talked in earlier, like these guys are just like on milk. He's just like this babies in this, in this big city. But the church is growing. Like there's this movement happening. And, but he's kind of having to come back and, and deal with it in this way. And these, so these first like kind of opening the session in, in dealing with these issues, it's one, the individual issues, but two, really a greater issue is that the community is just is not healthy because it should be sorting this stuff out. But he's talking to, excuse me, he's talking to this, this really a gradual slide that we can all end up in. So when maybe he, when he was there, or when he left, things were fine. And all of a sudden, after time, months, years, like, it escalated to some really crazy stuff. And it's easy to see from here, and it's easy to look at the issues he's calling out, because it's easy to point out other people's issues, right? That's not hard for most of us. Like, oh, that guy's got issues. But sometimes it's hard to see our own issues. And we don't even always know where we are. The, the Corinthian church didn't know where it was. It was lost. It didn't even know how far off it was. In an earlier chapter, they, they were boasting about certain things, like, oh, my gosh, you guys have drifted so far off. And so they need, we need sometimes, people to point that stuff out, whether directly or simply in the context of healthy community where, where you're challenged to be a better you. If you live in isolation, it's hard to see where you have opportunity to grow. That's why we need to be around each other. When you're, in the right, when you're around the right people, and I, and I know this to be true, is, is you see something you didn't thought, think about before, be like, yeah, I want to be more like that person. Like, I didn't even know about that. I didn't know I was missing that. But when I see that, that's, that's what I want. I want to be more like that person. Like, yes, I, I want my kids to be more like their kids. Like, I, I wasn't paying attention, but when I see that, yeah, whatever that is, I want more of that. And it challenges us to grow. Right? If you look around, that person, yeah, that person, not so much. Like, but, but some things like, that spur us, spur us on. And we don't know what we don't know. And Paul reminds these people of Christ's love over and over again. Like, remember where this thing came from. Jesus loves you. There is grace. He wants a better life for you. He's like, I was there. This was real to you. This happened. There was a movement in your souls that led you on this, on this journey. It's like, how did your entire community get so far off? But we, have, we all have blind spots. Like, there's areas of our life that you just can't see. It's super scary to think about. I don't like thinking about it. Like, who wants to think about the stuff that you can't see that everyone else kind of knows about you? It's uncomfortable. But those are areas that we can really kind of stretch and grow, even if they're a little bit painful. I remember a few years ago, um, my wife was telling me, and Amy and I have been around town for, for a long time. We... Um, just through different venues, know a ton of people and uh, have a fair amount of friends, but a, a lot more acquaintances and familiar faces around town. And I was sitting with her one night, and uh, she says, you know, uh, we were talking about someone. She says, you know, so-and-so doesn't think you like them. I'm like, what, really? She's like, yeah, they just think you don't like them. I'm like, really? Why? I'm like, I'm thinking, like, I'm a nice person. Why would they? I don't even say anything. Why would they, why would they think that? And she's like, yeah, neither does, neither does this person. Like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, honestly, she's like, I've heard it from a few people. Like, they don't think you like them. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, but it was this sort of thing. She's like, well, well, she said you passed so-and-so in the hall and didn't say anything. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even see that person, you know, or, well, they said you don't, you never really talk to them. And like, oh, my God. But there was these things that came out, and there's these things that came out that really were a little bit like my personality. I mean, like, all right, I get it. Like, I can be that person. Like, I'm not the life of the party, like. I mean, I can be sometimes, but, like I, I, but I can be really just sort of closed off. I could be in my head. I can, be, I can avoid people. I can have, like, resting bee face and, like, you know, but that's an area that I needed called out in my life because, you know what? That's not okay. 
It doesn't matter if that's it. That's not okay. If I make people feel like I don't like them, that's wrong. That's not gospel. That's, that is not hospitality. That is not welcome. That is not Jesus. And so I needed some of that area to be called out to where now it's an, you know, it takes a little bit like, and it's been a while, so you, you learn these things like, all right, I can do this. Go time. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Good to see you guys today. Like, but you learn to sort of be more, make people feel comfortable because that's important. It's important to me that people feel comfortable. If I didn't care, like what kind of person would I be? You know, and it's easy to get defense and say, well, it's on them. I don't care. I don't even care about that person. Like, I don't even know that person. Like, we can kind of rattle these things off. But there's a, there's a blind spot in my life that I just knew. I mean, even though I, I, I had to defend it and justify it for a while, I had to engage it. I had to deal with that. And so he's talking to people like, you don't even know sometimes how far off you are. What other people are think, thinking about you. What other people are saying about you. How other people feel around you. Chapter 9, he goes on, and he kind of lists a little bit of his credential here, and he's sort of saying who he is as an apostle. And his motivation, he says ultimately in 9.23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. And he's saying, listen, I'm not in this for money. He, he talks a little bit about, listen, I could, he's like, a preacher is worth his, his reward. A, preacher, a worker is worth their wages. Like, I could be supportive. I don't even want your money. He's like, I, don't, I just want you to know I'm doing it because of the gospel, because there is blessing in that. He said, my motive is pure. Then he says, do you not know, this is the end of chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Nor I, no, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's just lobbed me out this heavy athletic language around training and getting his body to, to submit. Remember the Corinthians, they kind of just, they just sort of went with whatever they felt like. Like if the stomach's hungry, let it eat. And he's like, no, you have to start to control yourselves. You have to train. You have to run in such a way as to get the prize. And he's, and he's challenging them in, in, this, in this idea that, yeah, training takes work and it's hard. He's not pretending that all this stuff you're doing and all these questions you have, it's not easy. It's hard work. But everyone who competes trains and if you want to be competing if you want to be running this this gospel race together it's going to take some work faith marriage personal development development it takes work and here's the thing about growing as a person growth isn't supposed to feel good in the moment i don't know whenever any season of my life that i've actually grown and really been stretched that i can say oh that felt awesome no it felt terrible it hurt right when you train your body when you push your body those those Areas that really begin to develop, begin to develop, like it hurts in training. Growth hurts. It's supposed to hurt. And he's also he's also saying, but that's where we need each other. Because this race that we're running, that Paul's talking about, it's not like we're against each other. We're all on the same team. And I'll go back to this call of unity. And this, so this race isn't as much about individualism. But it's the overall call of the church to be unified in living the gospel. So when he writes these letters, he's not just writing to the one person of the issue. He's writing to fuel and inspire and encourage this entire movement together. I'm an I'm a Olympic junkie. I, I love the Olympics. I just get sucked into it every you know, couple years now. And 
Uh, the, the hard thing with the Olympics, honestly, is that there's at least eight hours of Olympic content on TV a day. Like, at least. That's, like, even the edited, like, good stuff. And, you know, I, I work full-time, and, and my wife does. And so, basically, the only way to do it is, like, to sleep two hours a night. Like, so I'm just, like, taking in all this stuff and listening to stories and, and, and any, any given thing I'm, I'm into. Um, but I was watching some of the Nordic Alpine team, and these guys are just killing it at the Olympics. So good. But it, but it showed this team... And it's this group of guys, and their, and their life is just together. They eat together, they sleep together, they train together, they all live in one place. And you'll notice some of our American team, we're, we're a different country, but, you know, they'll train in different places, they have different headquarters, different friends, but, like, this team, one place. They are one team. The whole nation hangs out in one place. And they, they make a run down the, down the, down the, the slopes, and, and as soon as the guy gets to the bottom, he calls up to, like, tip off the other guy, like, hey, man, just watch out for this turn, let me inform you about this, like, because if he does well, then we all do well. And these guys just live together and for one another. And one of the guys said the only time they're ever alone is on the run. He's like, occasionally, it's just about me and, and the mountain excuse, but everything else is about everyone else. And it's showing with this team as they, they sort of dominate the winter games. They're there for each other. You guys know that. Uh, you guys follow that, that, uh, that Tongan guy came out with no shirt, anybody? Any, any fans? Uh, Peter, to, Peter, Peter, what was his name? Peter Tafuiloa or something. And so he's this Tongan guy, and he came out during the Olympics uh, in Brazil uh, a number of years ago, and like kind of blew up the internet because he just looks like that, and, and people like him. But he came out this Winter Games at the opening ceremony, and, and, and you know, he's all coconut oiled, and it's freezing there, but he's hanging out waving his flag in, in, in Korea. And this is sort of the spectacle. But what's cool about this guy is I, I listened to this guy's story this week. I, I didn't even know. Like, what is that guy even doing there? And, but, you know, he's, he's a cross-country skier. And he hadn't started cross-country skiing until about three months ago. Uh, and he's, he was in you know, the Summer Olympics. And, but he's had this sort of idea, like, man, I just want to be there for my nation and for others. And, and they asked him about his goals. So this is on Friday, I think last Friday after the ceremony. And like, well, what, are, you know, what are your goals for this cross-country skiing event, uh, knowing that you've only been skiing on snow for three months? Like, you know, most of these guys, they're a whole life. And he says, first step, finish before they turn off the lights. Step uh, next, number two, don't ski into a tree. Like, he's just like, I just want to be there and finish and not run into a tree. And then he says, and this is, this is so profound, I won't meddle on Friday, but in four years from now, someone from Tonga might. In eight years, someone from the Pacific might. These kids who are watching now, they'll have access to something they never knew existed before. And he's stepping out and putting himself in a place that he's not going to win by way of, you know, a medal. But he's going to win for the sake of a cause bigger than himself. He sacrifices for something bigger than himself. Something that he might not even see, that he might inspire someone else. And this is the, this is the race Paul's talking about. It's not about getting that gold prize. It's about getting this prize of, of gospel life and loving and letting people know there's a, there, there's a God who loves them and there's a life bigger than they can even imagine. And it's cool, at the end of this race, he, he actually didn't finish last. He, he beat out, I think, four people. Two didn't even finish, and then he beat out a couple others. But, but he was there at the finish line waiting for the last guy to come in. And you know who else was waiting for the last guy to come in? The guy who finished first. I mean, this is, this is like hours of waiting. He came back and was waiting for the last guy to come in. And this is this race mentality that, that, that Paul is trying to, to, to convey to them at the time. And us, yes, it takes personal discipline and training. It's important. We have to do these things individually. But there's this collective thing that's bigger. 
There's this collective thing that's bigger. And he's pushing him. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about something so much more beautiful and grand. And he's looking at these little issues. And, and basically, it's the way you, live your, way you live should align with your beliefs about what is most important to you. So, so if this is really important to you, this God thing is important to you, then you have to start living a certain way. Start looking for this reward. Believe in it. And our reward, I'm going to have the, the band come up, we'll close out. Our, our reward, and, and, it, and it's, not, it's not just getting to heaven. Like, that's, that's so misinterpreted so often. Our, our reward, yes, is, is eternal, it's intangible, yet it's also vividly present. The reward is now. And Paul's saying, what do I do it for? I do it for this. I do it because I get to talk about the gospel. That's the reward. That I get to be used by God. That's my reward. And so this prize, sometimes it feels distant, but it's also here now. And so I just want us to be challenged as a community, as individually, and as we grow together, that we would just strive for both. That we'd strive for for, for this individual effort, but collectively together, that we would see lives touched here and there and now and later. God, thanks for who you are, for your story. As for your word, uh, God, I just pray for inspiration right now, Lord. I, I think the Church of Corinth was lacking of some inspiration, Lord. Maybe some of us are. I pray for, for inspiration. Uh, to live for something bigger than ourselves, for someone other than ourselves, Lord. Man, the gospel is so selfless yet so fulfilling. Help us understand that. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. That website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.